Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. You guys have a great Thanksgiving? Good time? I was doing so well on my diet until I hit Thursday. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm still trying to recover from that. How many ate too much uh, Thursday? Okay. We're going to talk about gluttony today. No, we're not going to talk about that. But... Uh, Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 16. We're looking at verses 1 through 15. Luke 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel account found in the New Testament. This is our Faith and Finances series. We're calling this weekend's message Money Logic. As you've heard me say throughout this teaching series, you can tell a lot about a person, about their values, by how they spend or what they spend their time and money on effortlessly beyond their necessities. And uh, you can just tell a lot about a person's values just by where they invest their time and money effortlessly beyond necessities. And uh, so we've been talking about that. We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It will make an impact in every area of our life, and that includes our finances. I'm going to talk to you today about investments about how to invest uh, your money, your life. And uh, there are three different earthly kind of investments. Are you familiar with the three kind of earthly investments? Turn to the person next to you real quick, see if they know one of the three of the earthly investments. If you're going to invest for the future, there are three primary investments. What, what might they be? Real quick, do that. One or two or three. There's three different kinds of investments. Rarely is someone uh, really good in all three of these, but uh, there's three kinds of earthly investments. One, it would be property. The other one would be the stock market. And uh, what would be the third one? It'd be business, having your own business, something along those lines. And uh, we have a family friend a number of years ago who bought some land it's just kind of throwaway land, desert land, paid hardly anything for it. About 20 years later, he retired as a multimillionaire. That land is now South Scottsdale, or North Scottsdale, I'm sorry, North Scottsdale. So it's pretty amazing, but I, I don't want to talk to you about earthly investments. We kind of are somewhat familiar with that, and we've seen how the market goes up and down and how the big bubble burst a few years ago. It's actually taking those things that we have on earth and investing them in heaven. I have an investment opportunity that is out of this world. And uh, yeah, no doubt about it. And, and here's my thesis statement. It's on your notes. You can follow along. Uh, and this is where I'm, I'm going with this study. I'm going to give you the thesis statement. I'm going to pray. We're going to read the text. I'm going to spend a little bit of time kind of on the up front. And you'll notice there's a number of fill in the blanks. There's two sections. And uh, the first one is... Do you have money logic? There's like seven points there, and then I'm going to show you a video clip, and then we're going to knock out the next. When we get to the fill in the blanks, it's going to move pretty quick, so you're going to have to hang in there and write fast. But uh, let me give you the thesis statement for this weekend's teaching. It's right there on your notes. It kind of goes like this, it, it, it's similar on your notes. The more you realize that as a Christian, you are a recipient of a love that is beyond this world, and of a a friendship that is unequaled. Obviously, we're talking about this love that's found in Jesus and this friendship that is unequaled. It's in Christ. 
When you begin to understand that, to the degree that you understand that, live in the reality of it, is to the degree that you are going to invest or leverage your time and money, in fact, as I've got it written here, to create a fellowship of friends that will survive beyond death and last forever. That's the thesis statement. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. We're going to dive into this study here this morning. Father God, there is absolutely nothing in all of life that compares to the experience of of your love and friendship as we commune with you this morning. As it tells us in Psalm 63.3, your love is better than life. Help us to not lay up treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but teach us how to lay up treasures in heaven. For where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let's take a look at this text, and I'll read completely through it. And then we'll come back and kind of comment about it. Verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. He also said to his disciples, this is Jesus. This is all red letter now from this point on. There was a rich man who had a manager and, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, he's kind of thinking to himself here, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended, now this this is kind of interesting now, because the master commended, this is a bit peculiar. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Here's kind of some key thoughts, because now here's, here's the point that Jesus is making. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Who are the sons of light? That'd be you and I, those that are followers of Jesus Christ. Here's another big point, verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Pretty significant verse there. So I tell you, make friends for yourselves. So as this guy made friends for himself in a temporal sense, in a temporal framework, now those of us that live with an eternal perspective, he says, use your wealth so that when it fails, did you notice that? It's gonna fail, by the way. The bubble will burst. It did a few years ago. It will do that again. It's going to fail. Even if it doesn't, didn't fail you, eventually you're not going to be able to take it with you. That's what he's saying. If you're storing up treasures on earth as opposed to heaven, it's going to fail you one way or the other. So he says, so when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Do you, do you hear how he's describing heaven? 
He doesn't go into, you know, streets of gold and, and big mansions. He's talking about, what is he talking about there? He's talking about relationships, friendships. So, so here's how I would summarize just this one, and then we're going to continue on and we'll finish it up. He's saying this. He's saying that heaven should be a place full of people who cheer when you get there because you used your time and money helping them to get there. That's what he's saying. Heaven should be filled with people who cheer when you get there. Let me, let me read it again. So by means of unrighteous wealth, so I, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth or mammon or money, is the translation, so that when it fails, it's gonna fail you, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Do you see it? People cheering you. Woo! You invested in my, that's why I'm here. I'm in heaven because of you. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on. He says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? You know what true riches are? People. People's lives. Investing in people's lives. If you can't handle money and you're not managing your money well, how are you going to handle the people that God would give to you so that you could disciple them and care for them and love them, is what he's saying. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees who were lovers of money... Now, these were religious people, and they loved money. Heard all these things, and they ridiculed, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord to us. So here's the question. Do you have money logic? Now, let's go back kind of over the story very briefly here. So you got this rich man had a manager. This manager was the combination of a COO and a CFO. The manager ran the rich man's estate and also invested his money. So you kind of could follow that in the story here. The rich man terminates the manager because he's just kind of wasting his money. And the manager, knowing he has bad relationships with everyone else in the town and that he'll never be able to get another job like this again, uh, that he will, in fact, be reduced to begging and manual labor. So what does he do? He doesn't continue to receive money. He actually cuts the expenses of his manager's or, or his uh, boss's debtors. Now, it's interesting that he doesn't start trying to gather as much money as he can. What is he working towards? He's working towards relationships because he knows that relationships are more valuable than a lot of money in the bank. And in fact, as we walk through this, let me, I'll kind of explain it a little bit in one of kind of the best theory for this. So this manager decides to do something about it. He brings in his master's debtors, reduces the debt that they owe his master. This, of course, creates friendships that he didn't already have, making the debtors extremely happy, giving him future opportunities with him. Now, the peculiar part of the story is in verse 8, when the rich man finds out and commends the manager for his shrewdness. Now, one of the, probably the best theory here is that this manager was putting on his own enormous fees. He was adding his own enormous fees. That's why he was able to cut those 
They, these people were to pay back his boss. And so he just cut the fees that he was having them pay him. And, and, and as we all know, that the Bible is against taking advantage of people who are suffering by loaning to them uh, and, and charging high fees as we have in this, in this story known as the parable of the dishonest manager. He's ripping these people off. He's adding on very high fees. And so... So his manager or, or his master, the boss, commends him because, hey, you're, you're really thinking. You're investing in kind of relationships. You cut those costs, and now you have relationships as a result of that. But it was obviously giving this rich man a good name in the town also, probably why he also commended him. Well, these people are going to like me a lot better because you cut their, what they owed me uh, tremendously. But the key verse is found in verse, in verse 8 where it says... The master commended this dishonest manager for his shrewdness, and then Jesus uses that idea. And the word shrewd here is intelligent, wise, prudent, mindful of one's interest. What I find interesting about this story is that he doesn't continue to receive the money and try to sock that extra money away. He cuts it and begins to build relationships because he values relationships more than the extra money in the bank. Isn't that interesting? And that's what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus uses this as an illustration. So Jesus is using, and if this, if this is true, if this guy uses an unbelievable fervency and passion to cover the bases, to take care of his, his future, so it's, it's kind of like an investment, he's saying, if this guy does this, if this, then how much more, he's using that as an argument, then how much more those of us that are making these eternal investments should we do that? So he's, Jesus is saying, do you see how this guy manages his money within his temporal framework? Even more so, should you manage your money within your eternal framework? Jesus is saying, hey, do you see how this guy gave up short-term financial gains and put his money into something that is long-term more valuable, and that is relationships? Even more so, should we do the same? That's the point. That's the big idea. Now, what are the eternal implications of what we do? Why are we here? Why does Desert Breeze exist? Why would we invite you to invest in, in what we do here and in, in, in this ministry? Just as a reminder, here's, here's the money logic. Here's the eternal money logic perspective of why we're here. If the church really is in the highest stake battle ever fought on the broadest battlefield of engagement ever imagined, if that's true, which I do believe it is, if it is true that the church's effectiveness or lack thereof really does seal men's and women's eternities. Let me say that again. If the church's effectiveness or lack thereof really does seal men's and women's eternities, we're investing in people's eternities, not just in a temporal sense, but for all eternity. That's why Jesus said what he said when he said, Hey, use your wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. This is for all eternity. If it's true, the only power of Christ, only the power of Christ unleashed through the activity of the church can change the downward trajectory of individual lives and cultures. If that's true, 
then there is nothing we could give our lives, that is our time and money to, that would have greater impact than the local church, such as Desert Breeze Community Church. Okay, do you see the logic of that? Where, why I would say that? Why Jesus is saying that? That's big. That's big. So don't ever underestimate the amount of money that you drop in the box or the time that you spend as you minister to people. It's about, it's about let me go back to the, my thesis statement. I think maybe you can understand this now. The more you realize that as a Christian you are a recipient of love beyond this world and a friendship that cannot be equaled, the more you will leverage your time and money to create a fellowship of friends that will survive beyond death and last forever. That's what we're about. That's what desert, so that's why I call it money logic. Money logic. Okay, now, so if that's true, then I'm gonna do everything I can to manage my money appropriately so that I can leverage it towards the kingdom. So this is what it looks like. Here's, here's your fill in the blanks. Get ready. Here we go. This is what it looks like. If your outgo exceeds your income, it will be your downfall. Okay, that's pretty basic math. Don't balance the budget. Surplus is the goal. You guys tracking with me? So, so for me, as I manage my finances, I'm not about balancing the budget. I'm about surplus, even in my own. And, and the experts say uh, three to six months. If you start, you know, it become a hoarding, you're probably, you need to be careful about that, but, but uh, you need to have some surplus. Uh, and I'll talk about why that's important. By the way, how many would agree with me that our, that our country, our government needs to do that? Would you agree with that? Woo! Yeah. Don't balance the budget. Surplus is the goal. I mean, our politicians need to hear that. We, we're $16 trillion in, in debt as a country. Now, we don't have much control over that. You know, we, we can vote, we can do all those things, but you can have control over your finances within reason to a certain degree. I mean, you can't control a lot of the economics, but God will continue to bless you in spite of that. But, but that's the point. And you'll notice that this manager was wasting his possessions. And so oftentimes I have to ask myself, am I wasting my possessions? Am I wasting what God is giving to me? Proverbs 21, 20, it says, precious Treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So a foolish man devours all that he has. Just lives from paycheck to paycheck, so to speak. If you live like there's no tomorrow, you may be right. Okay? There won't be a tomorrow. So what we're talking here is when you balance, you know, when, as you kind of look at your finances, you're shooting for surplus. That's the goal. That's the goal. That honors God in that. You just don't want that to be a false sense of security, but that's just wise financial matter. Here's the next one. Don't confuse could with should when making decisions. Could is about possible. Should is about priority. It's not can you buy it, but should you buy it? Are you being wise with your finances? You know, I'm, yeah, you could buy that car with extra chrome on there and make those extra payments or whatever. Is that a wise thing to do? You know, could you buy the, the model, the, the downgraded model, and still it will get you from point A to point B? We'll talk a little bit more about that as we work. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, be very careful then in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Okay? Now, you guys know that God's not against wealth, comfort, success, uh, a claim, 
It's just making sure that that's not your bottom line identity and that you're leveraging that for God's kingdom. And you're not worshiping those, but you're worshiping God through those things. And there's a major difference. And so that's all I'm challenging you with. Here's number three. Most of us are not victims of unforeseeable circumstances, but willing participants, willing participants in a lack of foresight about future inevitabilities. Did you notice in verse 2, this uh, manager, basically he got his pink slip. You can no longer be a manager. Now that's inevitable, by the way. I mean, look at your company currently. That, that could happen with your company. Have you prepared po- the, with the possibility of that? With, when I was working construction, I, I had that, that was in the back of my mind constantly. That, ah, construction, roller coaster, I don't, this job's not going to last forever. Where's the next job around? I got to prepare, got to sock away some money. And so that's what you got to keep in mind. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. How many would agree that eventually your car is going to break down? Okay. Yep. You're going to need to get new tires. Okay, you better save up for that. Oh, and uh, your health is not going to, eventually you're going to get to the point to where you're not going to be doing quite so well. Okay? Would you guys understand that? It usually starts about when you're, about, when you hit about 30. You kind of peak out there and it's all downhill from that point on. Okay? How many have found that to be true? You hit 30, boy, everything was great. I'm going to live forever. You hit 31, it's all downhill. It's like, oh my goodness, I've never felt so bad. My son went out and played football uh, this, last, this last week, and he's really sore. They do turkey bowl or whatever, and I said, dude, you're not as old as you used to be, huh? So you need to take it easy, man. You're like 30 now, aren't you? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it really hurts bad, doesn't it? Well, just wait until you get like 40 and 50 and 60, okay? I can hardly wait until you get there, too. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, these things, are gonna, you're going to wear out. You're going to need new clothes. By the way, that refrigerator, it's not going to last forever. So you better have some money. You better have some money when that thing goes out. You know, and you, you got to be thinking. That's all I'm saying. Okay, number four, spending is not the issue. The reissue is why I spend. Why do I spend? Is it anxiety, boredom, discontentment, depression, peer pressure, image? Is it a lifestyle? There's a major difference between purchasing an image and purchasing an item. Most of us as Americans are purchasing an image, not an item. There's a major difference between the two. You gotta be thinking about, why do I want that? Why do I want that so bad? Why can't I get that off my mind? Why do I, ah, I mean, Black Friday, out of control, it's crazy. Why? Got to have it. The people camp out. I won't ask if anybody here camped out. But, uh, and maybe they're, you know, you're looking for that deal. Okay, that's cool. But why? Why was that so important? What drives that? That's an important question. Number, where are we? Number five. There's no magic pills. Change is hard and takes courage over time. But don't wait until the pain of where you are exceeds the pain of change. Did you notice that this guy didn't start getting moving until he got the pink slip? And he's still kind of, he's still on the payroll or still doing, you know, working through these accounts for his boss, but he kind of like, whoop, you know, he kind of hit the panic button. I better start doing something now. He should have already been doing something. Don't wait. Don't wait until bad things happen. 
What shall I do since my master is taking my job away? Don't wait until that happens. It's going to happen. You're going to have things that are going to break down. Things are going to happen in your life. So you, so you have... You have, as I said, surplus. You draw upon. That's wise financial management. That honors God. Number six, low debt gives you freedom from excessive worry and guilt along with the ability to take advantage of future options and opportunities. I talked about this last week. Last weekend about the truck I was able to buy. You know, this guy paid brand new for this truck. It was a $32,000 truck. You know, I bought it used from him. Um, he actually passed away, but uh, his wife was selling it. But he, it had very few miles on it. You know, one of those, you, know, you always hear people say, I'm going to buy a vehicle that has very few miles and from someone in Sun City that hardly ever drove their car. Well, this guy wasn't in Sun City. We lived right down the street, and he passed away. His wife doesn't drive, and she just wanted to get rid of the truck. And the blue book was 22, and I paid 15 for it, 15000 But I had the cash. But I also have the cash not to be able to, not only to take advantage of those kind of opportunities and to save tons of money, but to give. Give like, like never before. Someone has a need, okay, here. Oh, awesome. That's cool. We can help them out. Because we're able to draw from the surplus that God has given us. So we can kind of look and see where people have needs and, and that's, that's part of it. Low debt or no debt gives you freedom. As I talked about, the goal is to be debt-free. That's what you're shooting for. And, uh, and I talk, you'll have to listen to the message last week how I talked about how you can get there. Just gave you some advice on that. But low debt gives you freedom from excessive worry and guilt along with the ability to take advantage of future options and opportunities. It says in Proverbs 22.7, borrower is slave to the lender. And then number seven, most people are guilt spenders because they don't give faithfully, save systematically, or spend strategically. Well, you know what I mean by that? Guilt spender is that you spend your money and you go, oh my goodness, I don't know if I really should have. We probably, we probably shouldn't have bought that. I don't know. We, I don't. You should know. You should know whether or not you should have bought that. You should have known. You, you, you plan it out. You look at your finances and you're objective about it. You say, yeah, we've allotted money to spend here for this vacation. Yes, we should have spent that. This honors God. We are doing what we should do with our finances. You don't have to be a guilt spender where you're kind of wondering and second-guessing yourself. You, you, have good, you have a good budget. You, know, you uh, have good record keeping, you have uh, self-control, you understand what true wealth is, and you're giving generously. So, so you can do that, and as you manage that, now, should we feel guilty? Sometimes, yeah, absolutely, if we're not managing God's money responsibly. But we should not feel unnecessary guilt. That guilt, and, and, and keep in mind, here's how the guilt works within our, our lives as Christians. You guys know how it works. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, and Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. Religion says live as you should and God will accept you. Well, Christianity says God accepts you, therefore you will live as you should. So you already know that he accepts you. You're not doing to somehow win points with God. You have his acceptance. But it's out of that you want to honor him and how you live. You're living for his glory and his honor. And so when you find that you're just throwing money away, you go, wait a minute, man, I know that this dishonors you, God. I don't want to do that. After all that you've done for me, I love you. God, I'm repenting. Repentance is a change of attitude and action towards sin. 
And it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's recognizing, wow, this is not a good path that I'm on. I need to get back on the path that you have ordained for me to live. And that's what honors you, God. So, this, so you don't beat yourself up. You just come back to, to your Savior. You run back into his arms. And that's how, you, that's how that works. Now, I'm going to show you a video clip that's pretty hard hitting. Okay? And it's one of my favorite video clips. And then we're going to finish up the rest of this study. And it'll, it'll move uh, pretty quickly. But it's, uh, it's based on a true story. It's uh, Liam Neeson is Oscar Schindler, a German businessman in Poland who sees an opportunity to make money from the Nazis rise to power by staffing his plant with the free labor of Jews from a prison camp. His greed is eventually overcome by his conscience as he realizes that his factory is the only thing preventing his staff from being uh, shipped to death camps where they're being executed. And by the, by the time Germany falls to the Allies, Schindler has lost his entire fortune, but he has saved 1,100 people from likely death. And, and at the end of this, he, he wasted tons of money and he was very greedy, but it, he kind of dawns on him that there was so much more that he could have done with his resources and how many lives. And I, and I want you to watch this in, in light of eternity, that though he was talking in a temporal sense of saving people's lives, we're talking eternity where people will spend all eternity by what we do here at Desert Breeze. And then we'll walk through, really, what should motivate. There's a number of things that we can think, uh, think about, talk about, as it relates to what should motivate us. Watch this clip. We've written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it. Because of you, look at them. 
if I made more money. <laughs> I threw away so much money. <laughs> you have no idea. If I just... There will be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. You did so much. What about this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for at least one. You would have given me one, one more. One more person. Person stand. For this. I could have got one more person. And I didn't. I, I, I didn't. If, if that's true in the uh, temporal, the earthly sense, how much more is that true in an eternal sense? So the implications of, of what we do are even weightier. So, so what should motivate your money logic? Here it is, number one. It's easy to say it all belongs to God, but do you take care of it like it does? It's easy to say, oh yeah, it all belongs to God, but do you actually take care of it like it does? Like in this parable of this manager, that's the point that Jesus is making, that, that we are managers. All that we have has been given to us by God. And uh, therefore, we, since we are managers, we don't serve our interest, we serve God's interest. And uh, that's hard for us rugged individualists here in America. But listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 7. This verse is a, is a great verse. It says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Hey, I worked really hard for what I got. Well, who gave you the ability to work hard? Well, I went to school. Well, who gave you the ability to go to school? Who gives you the breath that you breathe? Who gives you your heart that beats? If you would have been born in the 13th century on a mountain in Tibet, where would you be now? 
I mean, wh- where would that leave you? I mean, when you think about everything that we have has been given to us by God, everything. The Bible's very clear about that. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So the Bible's pretty clear. Everything we have, opportunities, privileges, family, being born in this country at this time, it's all gifts from God. That's why David, he, he, in his prayer in, in 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 14, he says, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Both riches and honor come from you. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly, that we could even give? What we're giving is we're just giving it back to you. You've given all of this that we have, and whatever we're giving, it's, it's all yours anyway when we give back to you. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. So it's so a pretty significant, pretty interesting uh, when you look at it that way. Let me ask you this. What if someone came to you and wanted you to manage their wealth with these terms? You can keep 90%. All I'm asking for is 10% back. That would be a pretty good deal. I don't think you could ever find a deal quite like that anywhere. So I'm going to give you all, everything you have, and I'm just asking for 10% back just so that you can, you can honor me in that. And that's really what the Bible teaches. And in fact, oftentimes people will say, well, that's Old Testament. Let me ask you this. If that's Old Testament, then would you say that we are more or less blessed in the New Testament than in the Old Testament? We're more blessed, aren't we? Tremendously more. So it seems like that 10% is a rule of thumb for the most part. And I think it really talking about not just the 10%, but alms and offerings and even more even more than that as we generously give. And that's always been really the standard that my wife and I have operated under and and felt blessed to be able to do and and to fulfill. And so all that you have belongs to God and God wants you to be radically generous with what he has given you. And if you're not being radically generous, it's not just stinginess, it's actually the Bible calls it, um, it's the last book of the Bible, Malachi. It actually says it's not stinginess, it's robbery. Because it, it's God's anyway. And if you're not managing it in a way that honors him, you're ripping God off. It's not being miserly, it's thievery. It's not just a lack of compassion, it's a lack of integrity. And so here's, here's the next point. So that's, it all belongs to God. This should motivate us. If I am faithful with what I have right now, then God can trust me with more. We saw that in verse 10. And the principle applies to every area of life. Success comes from faithfulness in the little things. I've heard people say this. Well, if I just had more, you know, I know that we could do much better and I would start giving. No, you wouldn't. Because if you can't handle the little bit that you've got with the more, you're not going to be able to handle it either. I don't know if you guys have ever watched these uh, where people win the millions and their lives are jacked up anyway. And then they win the millions and they're really jacked up. Money just exacerbates it. How many have seen that in a lot of those specials? Yeah, that'd change your character. If you can't handle the little, you're not going to be able to handle the lot. The, the goal is to be able to handle what God's given you and manage it to honor him, and then God will give you more. There is blessing in that. It's very clear. One who is faithful with very little is also faithful with much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches. It's right there. He's wanting to give true riches to us. 
He's wanting to bless our lives. And so it's important to be faithful. Here's number three. Money is a test that determines how much God can bless my life with true riches. We just said that. And it's interesting, as we've already said, true riches is, is really about heaven. You know what, what's going to make heaven heaven? Is our family and friends are going to be there as we bow before the throne of God and see him face to face. That's what's going to make heaven that's why he describes heaven in the way that he does. So that when it fails, that is money, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Who's the receiving of you? That's your friends and your family. And so it's not possessions that give you security, significance, and satisfaction. It's people. If you watched any of the interviews, there were a number of interviews from the East Coast. They're in the New York City area. In that area, they got devastated here recently. I heard people say, yeah, it wiped out my $1 million, $2 million beach house. But guess what? My family and friends are still here, and that's what matters most. Why? Because that's, that's satisfaction. That's, that's significance. That's security. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why this guy invested into people's lives. Number four. Money is our number one rival God, and if I don't manage money, it will manage me. That's why he says in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. Number five, how do I know God really has first place in my life? Tithing, giving. Remember, that's a rule of thumb. Tithing is a constant reminder that God is number, uh, number one in my life. Deuteronomy 14, 23 the Living Bible puts it this way. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. And then some would say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, actually, Jesus did talk about it in Matthew 23, 23. This is the New Living Translation. It says, you should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. In other words, don't do it robotically, almost like, okay, I checked that box. Everything's cool between God and I. He's speaking to the Pharisees. They'd covered that base, but they were doing it. It was all form and no substance. He's saying, no, it's more than that. It's your heart. It's about your heart. And then number six, the greatest use of my money is to invest it into getting people into heaven. I was getting together with a guy uh, yesterday. He called me up and said he wanted to get together with me, and so I was going to go get coffee with him. And then as I was getting ready to go, he texted me and said, that, he said, my business was broken into, so I'm over here cleaning up, so I can't meet with you. So I texted him back and said, uh, Oh, what can I do? Can I help you in any way? He said, yeah, you can bring some coffee and some cream. So I brewed a whole pot of coffee, put it in a uh, little dispenser and brought some cream. And, and I, was, I was walking into his business. He was back there cleaning up. He stuck his head around the corner and he, he, he said this to me. He yelled, he says, they can't get my treasure. They can't get my treasure. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. yes. They can't get your treasure. They broke into his place, stole a number of things. This couple attends Desert Breeze, and they're an awesome couple. They love the Lord, but they know what's most important in life. And that's what he was saying. And that's what it says here, is that our true treasure, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Are you investing into heaven? I mean, he was, you would have, you know, have you ever been broken into? Anybody ever had someone rip you off? You feel violated, don't you? Just, uh, that's happened a few times. It's happened here uh, in our church, in our church buildings. People rip you off. And yet, I, I know that he still had to kind of process that, and yet he knew that what mattered most was what he had in Jesus, and they couldn't take that. 
And that was what would sustain him through anything. And that's true. That's what, what Jesus is talking about, about here. Verse uh, number 7. Here's where we wrap it up. Three things happen when I give financially to further God's kingdom. I help people become Christians. I make friends for eternity. And God blesses me more. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Talks about uh, God finds delight when we are cheerful givers. In fact, it says this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful, you guys know what that word means? It's hilarious. It's the word hilarious. God loves a hilarious. Why would you give hilariously? Why would anybody give hilariously? That sounds crazy. It's not. Not if you know Jesus. If he's touched your heart. And I go back to the, to the front of this, uh, to our thesis statement. Let me, let me just say this. Jesus Christ is, is the true manager who, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty, the cross, he could turn his enemies into friends, and the more you realize that as a Christian you're a recipient of a love beyond this world and a friendship that cannot be equaled, the more you will leverage your time and money to create a fellowship of friends that will survive beyond death and last forever. Heaven should be full of people who cheer when you get there because you invested your time and your money into their lives. And so I'm going to invite Scott up. Mr. Scott Famelli is going to come up. We're going to talk again about our campaign. This is phase two of our campaign, and he's going to chat a little bit about it. If you haven't picked one of these up, make sure you pick one up. Uh, we might have sounded a little stingy about passing these out, but it's okay if your husband and wife, you can each have one if your husband's not sharing this with you. And uh, feel free to pick one of these up on the way out uh, and, and read it. We're not passing out the uh, commitment cards yet. We'll probably start passing those out next week because we don't want you to respond in an emotional way. We want you to think about this. We want you to go through the process. We want you to pray about it. He's going to tell you a little bit more about what's in here. Yes. Yes. So if you missed it last week, just a brief review. Um, this does have some information, and I'll go over a little bit of it about what's going on with the campaign, where we're, what we're doing with the money that we raised from phase one and so forth. But more importantly, and most of the content of this little campaign booklet is how to take steps to get with God and invest in your life, um, your time, your talents, and your treasures on, on what it means to be part of this church and also uh, how to take steps to make a commitment to how he would have you move, dare to move, uh, in participating in this campaign of uh, getting into our church building. And uh, when I say that, don't think, of, don't think of bricks and sticks. Think of people. Think of ministry. That's what we're investing in, and that's what's most important. So um, <clears throat> I just wanted to go over, if you have this, you can pull it out. I'm going to turn to... Uh, the first inside page, and I just wanted to explain to you what um, phase two is about, and it also talks a little bit about phase one. It says, um, so now we find ourselves beginning phase two of Dairy to Move. This phase is purpose to finance and begin to begin the development of property we can call our own. So the key word there is to begin to develop the property because we're not going to be able to build the whole thing out because we'll have some tenants and some space that we can occupy. Okay? So it's the begin. 
to build and develop a place that we can call our own. It says, we have found such a property and have developed a concept for our immediate church needs. That's the beginning. And for plans for future expansion. That's the end. That's phase three. We will be using the funds raised in Dairy to Move phase one to gain financing and begin our initial development. So it's like this. We, we didn't have money for a down payment. So we had to position ourselves financially to go to the bank and say, hey, we have a down payment now. This is the house we want to buy. That's how you do it responsibly. That's how you uh, enter into tool debt. You don't buy something that you can't afford. You don't buy something that you're, you're not ready to buy. So we have positioned ourselves as a church family, and God has blessed this church through your obedience to be able to do that. So here we are in phase two and going to begin that. So... We pray our phase two campaign effort will replenish the funds needed for this financing and initial development so we, can, um, so we can then finance the final phase of development and enter into the final phase three of Dairy to Move to complete our building plan and pay off our debt in full. We've been around for 21 years. We're debt free. We've never applied for a loan, but we really feel that God is telling us it's time now and here's, here's some money that we've blessed you with in phase one so you can do that responsibly. And um, so phase two is kind of like phase one for phase three, if that makes any sense to you. We had to position ourselves to do phase two and to get into a building. For phase, to finish it all off completely, we have to position ourselves in phase two to be able to finish it. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so uh, we're taking no. responsible steps. And here's what's good about yeah. what God's brought before us is it's a building with tenants in it. So if we get down the road and think that, uh, hey, this isn't, we're not growing as fast as we should, guess what? We can renew leases and continue to get income from those leases so we can pay off our debt in a more responsible way. God has incredibly blessed us with a plan that we couldn't have made up on our own. That's right. We, uh, we've always managed the finances here in a way that would honor God. We've always sought to do that. That's the reason why we've been slow about uh, going into debt. We believe that this is more of a tool debt. The market has decreased substantially. Here's a beautiful opportunity. All of our board of elders agreed, wow, this is too good to be true. This is truly a God thing, and we really do believe that. You could talk with any of our elders. Here's one of them sitting right up here and one right back here and uh, so if you guys hey, why don't you guys stand real quick I don't know if even some sometimes people don't even know any other elders here in this service uh, we got Brian right here Dan right there yeah okay a couple of the elders if you're curious about any of this feel free to talk with them come and talk to Scott about yes. it and uh, we'll, we'll just walk you through the whole process we're excited about what God's doing here and the opportunities we have I'm always excited when I'm, all, when I'm reminded, just like uh, this teaching has done, that it's, it's been given to me. It's not mine. And it's very convicting when you answer that, when you consider that question of, are you treating it like it is God's? And so Proverbs 16, 9 says that uh, there's many plans that we have that we make up in our hearts, but the Lord determines our steps. So if you turn to another page in, it's got some questions. Is this a big task? Yes, it's a God-sized task. Will it stretch us? Absolutely it will. And here's the one I want to talk about. Can we see everything clearly? Well, kind of. But the Lord determines our steps. We can make plans all day long. And so Hebrews 6, 11, 6 says that we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're not supposed to see everything clearly. The writer says without faith it is impossible to please God. When I hear, please God, I get really nervous because if it's up to me, I'm going to fail. 
But the root word for, for the word please means to prosper from his pleasure. And that gives me great hope. When we take what we see as big steps for God, he will take pleasure in showing up and showing off. One of my favorite theologians is Charles Spurgeon. He wrote this. God promises, God's promises were never meant to be thrown aside as waste paper. He intended that they should be used. God's gold is not miser's money, but it is minted to be traded with. Nothing pleases our Lord better than to see his promises put into circulation. He blesses us to be a blessing. He loves to see his children bring them up to him. If we leave it up to us, guys, we're going to fail and we're going to fall short, but we need to bring it up to him because God is the God of all and he blesses us. And, it, and he, he, um, he loves to see his children bring them up to him and say, Lord, do as you have said. We glorify God when we, when we plead his promises. Our heavenly banker delights cashing his own notes. Never let the promises rust. Draw the word of promise out of its scabbard and use it with holy violence. God will not be troubled by persistently reminding him of his promises. He loves to hear the loud cries of needy souls. Any needy souls in here? You better all be raising your hands. It is his delight to bestow favors. He is more ready to hear them than we are to ask. The sun is not weary of shining, the fountain of flowing. It is God's nature to keep his promises. Therefore, go at once to the throne with, do as you have said, Lord. So that's what this booklet is about, is how to go to God and say, God, I'm lacking. Everything I have is from you. Help me understand how you want me to participate with the things that you've blessed me with. And so that's what we want you to grab a book for. If you didn't get one last week, feel free to grab one. We'll have people back by here by the things, but just understand what we're investing in. It's not in a building. It's not in bricks and sticks. Yes, that's the tool, but it's for ministry. It's, it's, it's because there's lives on the line. We're not going to buy people into heaven. We're just going to be obedient to the one who, who uh, is the Lord of heaven and earth yeah. and uh, do as he says. Be obedient. Uh, be good stewards of the blessings he's given us. If you were put in charge of someone's uh, estate, if you were their, what's the word, executor or, well, executors have no rights, only responsibilities. And so let's take great responsibility and great, great soberness in, in what God's blessed us with by putting these, this incredible life that we have and uh, that he's placed in our hands and uh, count on him to uh, do as he says because he's going to bless us. He promised us to do so. Amen. All right? Amen. All right. Thanks, man. Woo. Good job. Would you stand with me? <coughs> Jim Elliott, who is a martyred uh, missionary along with four others back in 1956, he made a statement that was pretty profound. Some of you have memorized it. He said this statement, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so may we here at Desert Breeze, may we not 
lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but may we lay up treasures in heaven so that when we take our last breath on earth, we will take our first breath in heaven and hear from our Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will know at that time that heaven is full of people who are cheering for our arrival because we invested with our time and money into their lives for his glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.